The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Welcome to episode 24 of season 5 of The Outspoken Bible. It's a lot of lot of episodes, isn't it? Even yeah, yeah. I, I've just listened to the episode that dropped admitting to listen to your own podcast is that okay but there's a there's almost an apology for the fact Please, that they, we Neil, haven't switched I, I mean seasons. you know that I'm somebody who obsessively watches back and listens back to what they do in order to improve indeed well done <laughs> well, it's very brave and also important in our communication uh yeah episode 24 before we before we hit the record button Jen actually said we've been doing acts for a long time it's been going on and on <laughs> We are nearly there, people. Thank you for sticking with us. So this is episode 24 of season five. I'm obviously Fiona Stewart, she says, obviously. And I'm obviously here with Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello. Hello. I am. Hello. Good day. Hi. Now, to correspondence, we have had an email from John Hodge. He writes, Fiona, having kept my head down for several months, I would like to say that we're enjoying the series in Acts. So far, I am unable to see the link in Glover's Others. One comment I would like to make was that Neil's comment on about Neil's comment on the biblical knowledge of the Gentile church at Corinth and how they would understand the references to Exodus. In our church Bible study, we're looking at 1 Corinthians and using Tom Wright's online talks. He commented that the leaders of the churches would probably help explain the content of Paul's letters to the receiving churches. And John writes, perhaps that gives us some hope that we are not so less biblically literate. than the Corinthians were. So actually, I suppose the role of something like this podcast would be to to help make sense of things and help um, back these things around. Good to hear from you, John. Thank you very much. Uh, I met him recently at something, so it was lovely to see him in in person. I mean, I I wasn't to say, he was here last night um, because he needed to borrow some internet. And one, he didn't try and ask me uh, what the the link was. But second, I, I felt like I'd personally failed because the inter- our internet was dodgy. I mean, I oh. obviously had no control over that whatsoever, but <laughs> it just felt this kind of personal shame that he'd come to borrow internet and fail oh, to good provide. To a, it's good to have a public opportunity to, you know, make that right, though. Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> good to hear from you, John. Thank you very much. And as ever, if anybody wants to contact us, it's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Now, uh, we don't have any other correspondence, so I actually thought I would just ask you to a little question about what you are listening to. We've not had that discussion for a while. Any interesting podcasts that you can recommend to people? Or I found myself, yeah, I found myself kind of embedded in real dictators, which happens every so often, and then I try and stop it because I think there's something, just something about listening to the lives of dictators for too long. I don't think it can be that healthy. No. <laughs> but I would, I would really recommend it's really well put together. It's so the stories are so well told. And there is a nice wee one, two episodes on Herod, which they put out just ah, before okay. Christmas, mm-hmm. which are still there, obviously. Um, I was, I actually went and found it because in our young people's group on a Sunday morning, just before Christmas, I ended up in a huge conversation uh, with two 13-year-old boys all about Herod and which Herod was at Christmas and which Herod was at Easter and how many Herods were there and... I was headed like the way he was so I found the podcast and headed very good so Real Dictators and then I've just listened to um, this Lenin's story which actually con- controversy as to was he a dictator but he certainly set up a dictatorship I think that was the conclusion so Real Dictators for me at the moment um, and I'm going to mention something later on for Jen's Jen's I mean that actually sounds as though it would be quite relevant to the conversation we're going to have today yeah Think about because the Herods, cause the Herods relations family yep. comes back into it today yeah very yeah. powerful very influential very good and you can find that presumably on all your normal podcast platforms yep I think so it's on Spotify for me okay okay <laughs> <laughs> little ad right there uh, yep. Neil what are you listening to I just listened to the first podcast by a couple who are in our congregation called Beth and Finn, and they had been praying quite a lot. Both of them, they're fairly open about this, uh, have become Christians fairly recently, and they're exploring what faith means for them. They're, they're, they're really great to be around, and they've put together a podcast called Divine Nature. Mm-hmm. And on the first episode, they've, they've set quite a high bar for themselves. They went on a 24-hour walk over New Year's Eve into New Year mm-hmm. uh, in the in the Highlands. It, it got pretty tough for them at yeah. points, but they've, they've told the story really well. It's really well produced. So that's the divine nature. And is that, uh, how, long, how long is each episode? 
a half an hour, 28 minutes okay. or something. That's so they've told the story in 20 minutes. That's that's good. And is there is there out and about footage? Yeah, yeah. So they record uh-huh. about out and about and then they reflect on it and then they bring it, they go live and then they, they kind of reflect, they kind of do a kind of narration and then they talk about faith and then they talk about nature. But they've they've um, they've crafted it really well. It's well worth listening to. That sounds good. That sounds very good. So that's, that's the divine nature. And again, on your usual platforms. All the usual platforms, including platforms. ones which Jen have Jen has plugged. <laughs> I mean, it actually sounds like one of my favourite podcasts to listen to, which is Scotland Outdoors. Do you ever listen to that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the the Radio Scotland program, which I love on a Saturday morning. But if I, I I'm sort of snoozing and don't hear it, I sometimes listen to the podcast later on. If you didn't know it was them, it could pass for I I would say it could pass for Radio Four standard. A quality of montage and this is the one you divine nature. Divine nature. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very good. Uh, well, I was trying to think of something. Um, I, I haven't listened to a lot of these, but I'm quite interested in the fact that Justin Brierley, who used to be with Premier, has now set up um, a, a different um, podcasting stable, and so he has a new podcast out called "The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God," and he's talking to and about people who are re-engaging with the questions of faith oh, I've, I've listened to a few of them mm-hmm. I think it's good yep. I think it's mm-hmm. good um, I think Justin Bradley's a slightly acquired listening taste if I'm honest mm-hmm. uh, so I can only listen to a few at a time and then I'm, I'm done for what, a wee while with him what about it makes it acquired? just his turn of phrase All right. <laughs> it's quite a particular um, criticism actually to be honest it's just, it's just sometimes the way he speaks I think oh yeah is I, he quite apologetic? Does he kind of he say, is apologetic, oh, yes. Although yeah. this is this is much more about people's people in the secular world. He, the, well, the ones I've listened to, he's done a bit of an overview of uh, the um, new atheist movement uh-huh. and the kind of demise of that, actually. And and his contention is that there is a re-interest, there's a re-renewal of interest in, in Christian faith. And, it, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about before around Tom Holland and people like that who are saying, well, you know, he may not have a personal faith or he might not claim to have a personal faith, but he recognises the benefits of, of the Christian worldview and approach. So, yeah, interesting. Would recommend. That's a surprising rebirth of, of faith, Justin Bradley. Well, that's been a lovely little roundup of what we're listening to. I just always like hearing what people are, are engaging with. Um, now, Glover's Others, we are still looking for that connection. And the connection goes Abimelech, Baruch, Gad, Delilah, Eli, Zechariah, Herodias, Thaddeus, and last time, Junia. This time, Neil, who is your other? Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. It is Caiaphas, the high priest, when Jesus is tried and condemned and he's mentioned mainly in Matthew's gospel but mainly developed in John's gospel and a particular aspect I'd like to pick up on in Caiaphas is that he's the high priest but he seems to reinterpret that role as rather than being the person who enables the people to to go to God seems to have lost that and becomes more about the preservation of a certain status of the state and of him and his family at the head of it. And it's quite interesting that him and his father-in-law, Annas, uh, seem to work in, in tandem. At one point in John's Gospel, it says the high priest was talking to Jesus and it turns out that it wasn't Caiaphas at this point, it was the father-in-law. So he feels a little bit like the power behind the throne. But Caiaphas also says this very interesting thing uh, that uh, he talks that Lazarus has just been healed and the people are trying to work out what to do. And Caiaphas says to the other elders, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own, but because he was high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was to die. And it seems to me that what Caiaphas wants is for Jesus to be sacrificed in order that quotes the nation, but really Caiaphas himself can be preserved. And it got me thinking about 
a bit of writing done by John Tyson, who's an Australian pastor in New York, in his book, Beautiful Resistance. And he talks about the difference between sacrifice and privilege. Tyson's very alert to this. And he quotes one organization who says, unearned access to resources, this is privilege, privilege is unearned access to resources that are only readily available to some people because of their social group membership. And it's an advantage that is only granted to some. And very often those who have it both try to defend it and are less aware that they have it and try to keep others away. And it feels to me that Caiaphas is doing this. And Tyson has a second illustration, which I find really interesting which he, an African-American friend, had said to them, what life sometimes feels like for me is that there's a game of Monopoly that I'm invited to play. But what's happened is that everybody before me got to play two rounds around the board and they've bought all the property. And now I get to join in. And now suddenly, though, I've got to avoid all the properties that other people have acquired. So playing the game is no longer fun for me because I'm avoiding all these threats. And people say, oh, you, you can play it all that you like, but actually they've all got there first. And actually in the game, sometimes the safest place to be is jail. And that, he said, is what privilege is like. And that is what Caiaphas is trying to defend. And Tyson's contrast with sacrifice, I think, is really interesting because Caiaphas wants Jesus to be sacrificed. But what's also really profound, of course, is that Jesus had the greatest privilege of all, but he chose the path of sacrifice. And and what Tyson points to, and we're, I think we're going to come to later on in our discussion of Paul, is the, the Christian choice is the loss of privilege and, and just quite how profoundly important that is. So Caiaphas is the one who hoarded privilege, and today we're going to be looking at someone who didn't do that. Very interesting. Very interesting. I think that last sentence you said about the Christian way is, what was it? The Christian way is the avoidance of... The, avo- the, the renouncing the, or the avoidance the of privilege. Yes. I, I think that's, it's so true, but also so often not lived out. Yeah, yeah. You know? Very interesting. Um, and also what a brilliant illustration. That Monopoly illustration is fantastic. Yeah. That's really good. yeah. We had a no. We Tyson's had a com- really good on illustrations. I think. Mm, mm. I think I often haven't been- read much of his before. Mm-hmm. Could, could I? You both had said something really important to me um, when we were preparing for today about privilege, because what Caiaphas does is he seems to belong to this family network where he feels this is what I'm due. And you were talking about a conversation that you'd had where somebody had pointed to instances where people had abused privilege and they just let it go. Well, I was I was talking about something. Um, my friend Adam, who works for International mm. Justice Mission, had um, been on a panel at an event I was at in, back in November, and she 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 made the point that when when stories emerge about how somebody has been mistreated by somebody in authority over them, so mm. whether that's in a kind of work context or, or whatever, um, she said it's always really important to listen to these stories and not not default to the sort of the attitude we might have which is well that's not my experience of them that's not how mm. I I've never witnessed that because actually she said that it takes a lot for the person in the subordinate position to speak up about about something like that it's not obviously you, you know you need to listen with with justice and and hear the truth mm. of something but but it's really stuck with me that it's important to hear the stories of those who are courageous enough to say this person has not behaved well towards me yeah yeah because we, is there something in privilege that we almost give them a pass sometimes? Maybe, yeah. Or, or, or the, the, the status itself, you know, the, the, the position itself gives them a pass on something. So people kind of let Caiaphas off with things because that's who he is. That's what we expect. Yeah. And I think you see it as well when people uh, are almost, not falsely humble, but they, you, you know, they, they, they forget to recognise the fact that they do carry power. Mm-hmm. We've talked, again, we've talked about this a lot, haven't we? Um, you know, you sort of think, oh, well, it's just little me. Well, actually, no, I, I occupy a position of privilege in particular spheres. Yeah. So I need to recognise yeah. that and, and behave accordingly, I think. It takes us on to the, the real dictators. because what does. <laughs> the, the thing about those dictators is they had huge power, but often they were obsessed with the places where they didn't have power. They kind of felt powerless, almost that yes, kind of paranoia and, thing. And often in. coming from insecurity, you know, that kind of personal psychological insecurity. Yeah. 
of, yeah. of acceptance and so on. Uh, we are getting on to the main topic here. So <laughs> both of you have already led us in, I think, really nicely today. Um, so thank you for that. As ever, if you want to get in touch with us, try and find that connection. We're still banging on about <laughs> please that. Please find uh, it. Please, please find the connection. Uh, the contact details for us are, of course, outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. And as ever, don't forget to tell other people that you're listening to this podcast. Like, rate, share and review. Um, thank you, as ever, that, for those of you who do listen. Now, in today's episode, we're kind of wading into the weeds of the chapters towards the end of the book of Acts. I don't know about you two, but I, I found as I approached it, they're not chapters that I've ever spent a lot of time in. I've you know, had heard one or two sermons on them and I've read them, obviously, but you tend to kind of just wade through to get to the end. Uh, so we left, we left the story with Paul under arrest and then transferred to Caesarea, waiting to have his case heard by the governor, Felix. A happy chap. That's my <laughs> that's my joke, my Felix joke. And um, we pick up that's that's one for the classics specialists. Uh, now we pick up the story at the beginning of chapter twenty four, and we're reading all the way through to the end of chapter twenty six. So if your knowledge of this account is you know could do with a wee top up, then now's your moment to go away and read or listen, and we will be here when you get back. Now, how did we get on? Neil, you wanted to kick us off, I think, by talking about trial. So this passage, I think, is Paul kind of tried kind of almost five times, I think. He's in front of the Jewish leaders. He has to defend himself against the, the people. And now we're getting two trials in front of Roman officials, kind of almost three, I think, isn't there? And it's constant. It, it's constant trial. It's interesting. You you um, used the phrase, we're wading into the weeds here. And I don't want to guess, but I don't think you were saying that the story was the weed, but in a sense, the the constant self, oh, another trial. And I think that's mm. why it's hard to almost engage with these chapters a little bit because it's quite exhausting. Your poor guy, there he is again. Oh, we're good. he's got to say it all again. He's got to say it all again. And I'm trying to think, what does that connect with for us? Very obviously, I think it draws us into solidarity with the people in the church who are who are being actually persecuted. Also, I think many people I talk to are in ongoing, complex conversations or relationships where they are constantly being battered or got at or it doesn't feel they can ever get out the bit. Wading in the weeds is maybe a a good description. And I wonder just as we come to these chapters, we can think of situations that we're in which are ongoing, wearying, and there seem to be forces against us which diminish us or or want us to simply go away or be imprisoned or somehow stop being who we are. And I, I don't know if people listening can relate to those sorts of situations, but that might be something that we take into our reading of these three chapters. Yeah, it's quite helpful to just sort of have that thought, isn't it, before we, we jump into the specifics. Hmm. So it almost feels the wrong way around, doesn't it? You start with it's not starting with the application. Yeah, I did. I started with the application. It feels like, yeah, it feels yeah. like the wrong way around. But actually, I think it, in this instance, it is actually quite helpful to to think ourselves selves into it. Jen, how did you get on with with these chapters? You did send me a message. I'm giving away secrets here. Jen sent a message going, "Are these really? The, is this? Are we reading all of this?" I think part of the the joy of this podcast is our honesty, and this is just one of those bits, many bits of the Bible actually, which is. I just thought I'm not going to have to trudge through this. Uh-huh. It's actually the weeds comment or mud or something. And I started off trudging through it. But then I think yet again, I was drawn to Paul and his skills, but not but also just his nature. And I think for me, is the big thing about these passages is the contrast between Festus and Felix and the Jewish leaders and Paul. Paul's just different. He does. He's not being smarmy. He's not kind of butter up the leaders and get his way. He's not being manipulative. He's being skillful, a skillful communicator, but he's not. He's telling the story and he's sharing Jesus. And actually what you were saying, Neil, there, when you were saying about that, the trial, you know, at the bottom for all of us, whether we're Paul or Jen Robertson, <laughs> the bottom of it is that, we hang on to Jesus, and Paul knows Jesus. It is still coming through in these speeches, and yeah. and all the and year, years pass in these few chapters. Are mm. Paul stuck in this place? Not no record of what he did, or he did have some kind of freedom. Um, and from I could I could say in my life for the times when I've been the most, you said 
when you've stopped being yourself. And also, obviously, I'm thinking about last year when I was so unwell. It's only it's only Jesus that that makes a difference. Only Jesus that brings that comfort because he did die and he is alive, and we get that. But I think it's Festus that says he's talking about this guy Jesus that was dead, and now Paul says he's alive, which seems a ridiculous story, but it that is the story. Uh huh. Uh huh. He brings this it back to the reality. That. Yeah. 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 So I'm glad I, I trudged through. It's always good to trudge through bits of the Bible. <laughs> God's God's there. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I was thinking as well, Neil, as you were asking that question about uh, the internal and the external trials that we face. So, I, I think sometimes with the external trial trials, we don't realise we're in it in the midst of it because you're you're dealing with you know. So I guess for for Paul, he deals with Felix, then he deals with Festus, then he deals with or he deals with Agrippa, and then he you know. So he's dealing with each thing as it comes at him. But the internal, um sort of pressure to think almost kind of feel the pressure of giving up on something for me would be my experience of you know thinking about situations I, 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 I'm in um, and I wonder if he had some of that but we, we don't know much of that do we? we don't know much of the internal monologue that's going on for Paul but he seems very determined to keep it's almost as though to me it's almost as though he's quite happy to have these opportunities to defend the gospel so I don't think he's seeing it as trial in the sense of oh I want to try and get out of this He's seeing it as fresh opportunity, fresh opportunity, with still that sense of, I'm going to get to Rome. And so if I need to say, I'm a Roman citizen, and actually, therefore, this is the correct procedure, legally, you're not going to take me back to Jerusalem, because, you know, I'm going to rely on my citizenship. Yeah, no, he so he doesn't play the game. I'm trying to think about the difference between this. He doesn't play the game in the sense that he's he's manipulating it to his own advantage, but he seems to be very aware of the choreography mm-hmm that he appears to be aware of the legal moves. He structures his speeches with a, in certain ways that appeal to people. As you said, he appeals to Rome. So it's not like he's naive, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it doesn't seem to be, at least on one level, to his own advantage yeah. to do this. Yeah, he's, yeah, supremely competent without being arrogant. Oof, and that is... There's a trick to pull off. Isn't it? Isn't it? And if we look yeah. at political leaders and religious leaders... Any, you know, that is such a temptation for your skill and your knowledge. Yes. And even the truth, you know, because Paul does talk about the things that weren't true that he was accused mm-hmm. of without mm-hmm. becoming, listen to me, I've got this and you don't matter. You know, I mean, he isn't, he isn't the, he's, he's in the, the sort of bottom position in all this dynamic, isn't he? He's not in, not in that position of maybe using his power, but there's something in there for for us to hang on to when we, when we were defending ourselves or whatever situation we're able to speak in. You're talking about that power and that competence. And then Fiona, you'd said earlier about the internal monologue. Mm-hmm. Where I went with that was, I wonder if he just said the Psalms to himself. Now, the Psalms are, are full of these passages. And he must have done, because we know that he was a good Jew. He read the Psalms. They're full of all these things about my enemies. It's pretty harsh language. And I, I mean, it's just a guess, but it's not an unreasonable one that maybe the language of the Psalms, which is pretty honest and pretty brutal, and at times is pretty pained, somehow does that internal work, which then allows the external person to be this picture where it's not that he's distant or detached, but he doesn't seem to be overly reactive to what's happening Mm. around him. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and in that regard, it kind of reminds me of Philippians 2, that, that idea that Jesus, being in very nature, God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. That, you know, there's something of the knowing your own identity in the midst of trial that enables you yeah. to, to speak freely, actually. Yeah, and knowing... About, I mean, he talks, obviously talks a lot about his story of meeting Jesus on the, the road to Emmaus. Not a road to Emmaus, that's a different road. The road, Damascus. The road to Damascus. <laughs> it's because I'm, I'm right in the middle of Easter preparation at the moment. <laughs> um, uh, but on that road, he he really met Jesus. And we talk, we've talked about yeah. a lot about that, aren't we? That, um, it's all your book, Neil. It's all about encounter. It's all about knowing Jesus. That That's what keeps us going. Not having knowledge about the Bible or being an expert, hmm. but knowing Jesus with us. Yeah. So can we can we look at these sort of different episodes uh, chronologically? So we do start with Felix. I read in Tom Wright's commentary that Felix had, I mean, he'd had a meteoric rise to power. So he had been a slave, I think, and had won his freedom 
and ends up governor of um, a whole swathe of the empire. Um, but but Wright's contention with that is that you know there's there's an insecurity to him, uh, and I and I kind of trying to make sure he's grappling and holding on to the the power that he has. How do we get on with with thinking about Felix and his relationship with Paul? He kind of plays with him a bit, doesn't he? Does, but I feel I feel quite warm towards Felix mm-hmm. compared to Agrippa, who we'll come to later on. Um, you know, he's, he's this he's got this knowledge of the, he's well acquainted with the way. I wanted to know what that meant. Maybe they have lots of friends who were following Jesus. And then his wife is Jewish. So there's that connection as well. And then he gives Paul, he keeps him under guard, but he gives him freedom and he permits his friends to take care of his needs. This this man can't be all bad. And I, I didn't know until you said that, Funa, that, he'd, that he'd, he'd, he had been a slave. But then that kind of fits together because he's not just acting as the others are in this situation who have got the power. There's some kind of humanity about him, some kind of relationship with Paul, some kind of caring for Paul. And if that's his... I know that doesn't always work. You know, you've got a story of trouble of your own and then you're more compassionate. It doesn't always work that way, but uh-huh. maybe for Felix it did. Um, and he wants to talk. He wants to hear about faith in Jesus. But then... But then when it gets onto righteousness, self-control, and judgment, that's enough. That's enough for now. Uh, go away. Yeah, you get yeah. to. There is some speculation that those three, uh, what is it? Right, justice, which is also the word for justification, self-control, and future judgment. They were particularly aimed at Felix because he had a terrible reputation as also for being really brutal. He's mm. a little bit like Pilate, mm-hmm. who, if you read only the Gospels, potentially, is he's quite a sympathetic figure pilot in the gospels it's when you go to other accounts that you discover how brutal he was and felix is a little bit like this but but maybe there's a hint that here's somebody who needs to be taught about self-control uh you know the relationship with drusilla was pretty ropey where that had come from um so yeah um why choose self-control it's a kind of funny thing to talk about the gospel unless you're thinking here's somebody who doesn't have a lot of that Uh uh-huh and and the bit about the bribe I, I wondered, mm. you know, so he keeps inviting them so he can get the bribe. And was that just because he wanted money? He, he, or or I wondered, is it because he wants to find something wrong with Paul? He wants Paul yes. to do something wrong. He wants oh, Paul yes. to something corrupt. catch him out. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. The bribe thing as well. Like, here's Paul. Like, he probably doesn't have a whole, whole amount of money. And this guy who's loaded is thinking, oh, I need a bit of cash off you. Like, how much does he think he's got? Or does he think that the churches will Well, I had a thought, yes, together? I had a thought about that because earlier on Paul talks, doesn't he, about in verse 17, uh, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. And okay. whenever I was, you know, yeah. I've, I've been writing this audio drama thing, that's mm-hmm. something I had not quite realised until I did a bit of, you know, yeah. thorough reading. Paul would have, quite a lot of his travels would have been carrying money from one church to another and, and, and sort of, you know, taking a, a, a bag with the offering sort of thing. So I wondered if it was that. I wonder if it was because he'd mentioned that. that. It, so it wasn't just, oh, I'll get somebody from Paul, but I'll get somebody from this whole sect. This guy's got good fundraising mm-hmm. capacity. He's a good fundraiser. But there's also this thing, isn't there, that is there an insecurity there? Like, I just need to grab cash wherever Maybe. I can because I was a slave Maybe. once and I know how much it can be lost. And, you know, oh, I, I, every little bit helps. And be cementing my yeah. position. Yeah. yeah, and, that, yeah. and that may be his reaction to what Paul's saying as well. And that's why he wants him to stop because... I can't possibly change. I can't change how I live my life because then I might lose everything I've achieved. Yes. There's yes. also an intriguing thing, isn't there, that you get that with John the Baptist. Like, I would I would love to go back in time and meet Jesus, clearly. And to be... I know people say, you know, it's better that he's gone, Jesus is gone, so we can do more miracles and all those things. And if I work very hard, I can get there. But I'd really like to see the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, the walking on water, that would be the, the one for me. Uh, but if I couldn't see Jesus, I would love to spend some time with Paul. And you can see that, you know, Felix is, he's, he must have been good chat with Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, who else was like him? Yes, he must have been able to hold his own. That's that's what I always think when I read these accounts. Paul able to hold yeah. his own? Yeah. Yeah. He must have been interesting to listen to. Yeah, and I think as well, I sometimes imagine this as like they're sitting in a big room and then Paul gets wheeled in and he speaks and he gets taken out. But it's not that, is it? It's he's sent for him frequently and talked with him. Mm-hmm. Like daily. 
you know so it's a way like way we're chatting it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just people presenting here's what i'm gonna say here's what you're gonna say <laughs> yes. i say sometimes church feels a bit like that but then that's another comment um but it's it's conversation uh-huh. it's community it is embedded in relationship yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I wish somebody had written all that down. I know they had to summarise. Like they have to yes. summarise the conversation. You, you complained these chapters were too long. I know. I know. And now you want more. <laughs> too short. <laughs> so that is Felix. And he, so then in verse 27, it says, when two years had passed, Felix was Poor succeeded. Guy. I know. Succeeded by Porcius. Porcius? Festus. Porcius Festus. Porcius Festus. So, I mean, Por- I just... Porcius. Porcius. Well, I know, exactly. I know. Porcius. Anything you want. Just give yeah. it a go. Exactly. But because Felix wanted to grant favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So here's poor old Paul. He's just kind of abandoned to it. And Festus appears on the scene. He does sound like mm. a Shakespearean fool to me, but then that's just... <laughs> you. Somebody else said they thought he sounded like... Festering. Festering, yeah. That's right. yeah. Festering. yeah, festering. You wouldn't call your child Porcius Festus. No, you wouldn't. You might call... I didn't get a joke, by the way, earlier, so I'm just feeling sorry for the dear listener. Felix means happy. What did... Isn't it? Oh, right, okay. So he was a happy right. chap. Yeah. Is that what it means? Yeah, Felix. There we go. Felicity. Is that where felicitations come yeah. from? Uh-huh. And that's why Felix yeah. the cat is Felix the cat. Yeah. yeah. Every day's a school day. Why? Why is Felix the cat? I don't get the is happiness it... connection. Was he not a happy cat? I don't really know. I mean, I'm not that actually, old. I, really I, watch, I actually watch <laughs> Felix the cat, but. I'm not going to make any Festus jokes. Um, so he, he appears on the scene. Um, mm-hmm. He quite quickly goes to Jerusalem, which is interesting. Very quickly. Mm hmm. I think, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think Paul is very significant. Everybody's still talking about Paul. Paul, yeah, that's Paul true. is still a big problem, even though he's been in prison for two years. He needs is not been he has not been dealt with, and that I mean to get up into a new job, and to make your priority Paul, yes, within three days is pretty significant, isn't it? Oh yeah. yeah well, yeah. but also it's, it works the other way, isn't it? So, so say for example, Festus really didn't have much interest in Paul. He obviously has an interest in in maintaining relationships with the Jewish authorities in order to to you know maintain the edge of the empire kind of thing. But they are really quick to come in and talk about Paul. So he obviously still is a thorn in their side. They're they're bothered. Festus for me, do you know who he is? He's one of these people or groups of people who come in as successors to the previous mob. And they think, right, we're going to get it all sorted out. That lot had lost all their energy. Loki was there. And within days, they're facing all the same problems yeah. that everybody else yeah, did. It's just like that. That's true. That is very true. And oh, I'm bitter about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard a politician, somebody might take this out of the podcast, but I heard a politician the other day saying um, if they were in power, on the first Monday after they were elected, they would be meeting with NHS dentistry to sort out the dentist problem. Oof, that's. I think you might have a lot of other things to do as well. That's quite a big think, promise. I think, <laughs> think they'd be fixed on Tuesday. They'd get it sorted by Tuesday. But if, and the, if, the reason, although you didn't name a party, party policy, it has to have been a politician who had a reasonable chance of getting exactly. into power who isn't in it at the moment. Exactly. So but it feels a bit like that, though, doesn't it? It's like... Whichever yeah. side it's coming from, uh-huh. and then the Jewish leaders take this as an opportunity. You know, a new person. Yeah. Maybe we can ambush. We'll get him to bring him up up to Jerusalem, and then we'll ambush him and yeah. we'll get him killed. That and we'll yeah, and that's him. the yeah. second ambush attempt, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Yeah, because the nephew. Mm-hmm. It was the wee, the boy earlier that's on. Right. That that's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And and this is where kind of Paul brings in the I'm standing in Caesar's court, hmm. so I'm I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm staying where I am because this is this is the court of the. The Empire, right? Now, as an aside, yeah. I was saying to you before we started, I, I just always, there's a little nerdy bit of me that really likes it when people stand by procedure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, the Roman procedure was all about oppressing people, but nonetheless. <laughs> and, and Paul is using procedure. Uh-huh. So the, the, the way he speaks, um, I read that he, he uses the standard pattern of defence speeches for the, the first century. Um, exhortium. Narratio, argumentio, excuse my Latin pronunciation. So they feel like we're in Harry Potter. Yeah. So he introduces himself to the person who's holding court. There's a narration of events and then there's proof of what uh-huh. what he's trying to say. So, yeah, Paul Paul knows what he's doing. Uh-huh. And, into, and do you want to say any more about Festus or do we want to introduce Agrippa and Bernice to the story? Just a little bit about yeah. the, I'm not going to go up to Jerusalem. So Paul Paul's whole defence here is that both Jews and 
they're alleging empire. I'm, I'm a problem to the Jews and I'm a problem to the empire. But what Paul's defense is, is actually I'm in continuity with what really matters to the Jews. So that's, I've done, he says, I've done them no harm. And a, I've, I'm in continuity with what, what really matters to the empire. I'm, I'm not a threat to you. So he doesn't seem to be going, even though he's been tried by government, he's been persecuted, he himself is trying to say to people, look at yourselves, look at the things that really matter to you. I'm, I'm a friend to that. I'm not an enemy. And since he's he's not picking more fights than he needs to. Yes, and it's and it's it's all clever, isn't it? I mean, I don't mean just mean mm-hmm. that it's clever in the sense of you know, but sly clever. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's clever because he's he is bringing together different threads and holding fast to truth. Yes, he's he's saying he's clever enough to read his people, to know what matters to them, to name the best things that matter to them. So he's very perceptive about that. And then he says, "I am in tune with the things that." The, the very you on your very best day, I'm the thing that you want. Yeah, yeah. Why are you persecuting me? Yeah. And then a few days later, we have another power encounter here. So Festus is is newly in position, and up trot King Agrippa and Bernice. Yeah. You feel there should be lots of trumpets playing at this point, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Because like, uh-huh. they arrive, they come in pomp and power, and it's a big thing that they've arrived. Yeah, I think we let Agrippa off a little bit. You you didn't like him. Why do you not like him? Who, who doesn't mean? like him? Who knew? Fiona, I think. So was it Fiona you said you didn't like him? Or I think he's... No, somebody said they liked Festus and Felix, but they didn't like Agrippa. No, I think I was I was warmed. I I I could be sort of warm to Felix. I thought there was some kind of humanity in him. I'm I'm not so sure about Agrippa. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean he's a pretty it's a pretty sordid story, isn't it? We we get very little of it here. I think Luke kind of just holds back from giving as much. But my understanding of, of them, they were a kind of celebrity couple in a sense, weren't they? Were they? I think so. But she's I his sister. So. And she's his sister, but she's, yeah, There's it's all a bit dubious it's just subject of a lot of gossip. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, now he's the one who's related to the Herods. So Jen, related <laughs> to the Herods. <laughs> Jen, you're the one who's listened to the, the dictators. Well, I think Agrippa is the grandson of the Herod in Acts chapter 12, who his stomach bursts open and he dies from some horrible worm disease. So they're all related to each other. This ongoing family of dictatorship, which actually is reflected in some more contemporary dictators, isn't it? Yeah. Is you keep yeah. it within the family. Yeah. yeah. So so we've got the we've got the Christmas Herod, and then next generation mm-hmm. we have the Easter Herod. Mm-hmm. And then we have Agrippa I. Who's the Acts twelve one, isn't he? Is he a is he a nephew or a? I, I mean, I'm genuinely good asking. Question. I can't yeah, remember. No, I and I have looked at Herod. I have, I mean, the Herod family trees—they're crazy because mm-hmm. all sorts of cross relationships are happening. And mm-hmm. yeah, Agrippa is the grandson of the one mentioned earlier in Acts. All right, I think oh, so it's he's what I read. Great grandson. So he must be your grandson, not the son, not the son. So he must be quite young. So he's probably quite full of himself. Unless he's the grandson of a different Herod. It's all sorry, very confusing. Well, so, so, but Acts 12 is an Agrippa though, isn't it? Oh, is he Agrippa? Yes, I think so. The one who bursts yeah. open. Yeah, the one where they all say, the voice of a god, not of a man. And he says, very no, good. He's, and then... he's Herod. Oh, sorry, he's a Herod. My, my he's apologies, Herod. Ben. You're absolutely yeah, yeah. right. I'm he's sorry. the third Herod. Right, yeah. He's the first Agrippa that we know of. Yes. Welcome to the Know Your Herod podcast. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I have very little knowledge of Herods, and I've got to say thank you to these two 13 year old boys <laughs> who triggered any interest I didn't have and developed it. Well, I... so what, what did they say to you, these 13 year olds? They were just, we were, it was Christmas. It was like, I don't know, the second week of Advent, and we were doing something about Herod. And it started a whole conversation about the massacre of the of the babies and how we never talk about that. And then who was these Herods and why did they have this power? Brilliant. I love talking to teenagers. It's full of questions. Um, and, what, and, is, and, and they had enough Bible knowledge to say, well, we know there's lots of other Herods. And it was just a great chat about... It sounds like they had the same amount of Bible knowledge that we do. Oh, much more. I mean, 
So, so yeah. I think can, that's. Can I mean, we repackage this for Christmas? Yeah. This section. <laughs> I, I tell you, I'm going to tell you right now what my takeaway is going to be. It's going to be to investigate the family tree of the Herods. But so, and I'll come back next time and tell you the detail. But but what we are saying is reflecting on Neil on your Glover's others. What we are saying here is that there is a family here that has a position of privilege. Yeah. They have been yeah. more than once around the monopoly board. Yeah. Yes. And I yes. think the thing. I mean, you said, Neil, that I didn't like Agrippa. And I think basically, without maybe analysing too much about him, I, I immediately react to Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officials and the prominent men of the city. That's enough to make me not like him. <laughs> I, so, Jen, I could imagine being in the crowd watching this happening with with you stood next to me and you just go oh for goodness sake here comes <laughs> Agrippa she'd be yeah. throwing cabbages <laughs> she'd be muttering <laughs> yeah, throwing cabbages is too dangerous but you'd be Brussels sprouts you'd be like <laughs> come on Paul yeah. stand up to and he people. does Paul yeah. does yeah and, and there is there's and there, and again I'm quite fascinated by you know this sort of extra biblical thing that we we're obviously following the thread of the gospel story and we're following the thread of Paul's argument. But, but you know, I'm quite fascinated by the power dynamics that work between Agrippa and Festus, for example. So what what is Agrippa trying to prove with his pomp as he encounters this this new governor? What is Festus trying to do as he, as he you know, keeps Agrippa happy, keeps the Jewish um, religious authorities happy, tries to deal with the situation of this guy who's been imprisoned for two years and mm. is wanting to go to Caesar? You know, it is, it's all actually quite complex isn't it yeah about who's yeah. trying to impress whom and, and who holds the power yeah and paul's kind of limited isn't he so i think we would agree that the sleaziest person in these chapters is tertullus would we would we mm, agree that the... is pretty sleazy but yeah okay okay oh so smarmy it... do you mean smarmy rather than sleazy Yes, smart. Yes, okay. If it's smarmy, can we get turtles? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so he's the guy in twenty chapter twenty four who's to Felix, and he's the Your Excellency, all that sort of stuff. Whereas Paul to Agrippa, it's it's a kind of double edged thing, isn't it? I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I make my dis- defence today because you are especially familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews. And I beg of you to listen to me patiently. So he's not saying you're a great ruler. He's just saying you know about things. Uh-huh. He's found the thing that he can he can do it, he can connect with. And, and once again, Agrippa does appear to be fascinated by Paul. Mm. And what he has they to say. They all are, aren't they? They all are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But do you not feel they kind of treat Paul as if they can manipulate him and make him do what they want. You know, like Agrippa's wee phrase there. So Festus introduces Paul to Agrippa and then Agrippa says, you have permission to speak. You have permission to speak mm. for yourself because I am the one with all the authority and then yes. I'm now allowing you to speak. And may, maybe that's... So they're used to that. They're used to manipulating people and bringing people up to speak to them and pushing people around and hearing them. But when Paul starts to speak... It starts to impact them, and yes, that's why they see these things like, uh, what, what does Paul? He said, "Did you think you think you're going to make me a Christian?" Says Agrippa. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Or Festus says, you, "You're out of your mind. You're talking about this dead man who's alive." Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, they seem to move from, "Oh, we'll be. This will be really interesting. A really new discussion," and then it's, "Oh, suddenly it's a bit close to home." So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does all make me think about Neil, where you started when you when you started at the beginning by you know setting it in the context of our own situations, and and I feel quite challenged around Paul's determined boldness around this stuff. You hear these situations, and and, and these are very obvious power brokers, aren't they? But in our own in our own society, there are people who have power and and exercise that wisely or otherwise, and so suppose there is a challenge to us as as believers in in how we we present. The message and, and make it personal when that that becomes quite difficult when you make it personal for people. Yeah, and I think I think the thing I think my temptation and I think all of our temptation is to talk about our faith or our church or our outward outward behaviours of our religion. I mean, I would never call myself religious. I I don't think that's what I'm as at all. I have a relationship with Jesus. I follow Jesus, and Paul doesn't do that. He, he talks about Jesus. He talks about how he met Jesus. He talks about 
who Jesus is, what God has done. No, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. Yes. I love that. Yes. Uh, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead. And then Festus says, you're out, you're out of your mind. You know, whenever, whenever I, I have never in my life, I don't think, spoken about Jesus and someone has said to me, you're out of your mind. They've said other things. But have I've I don't want people to say about my mind, but you know, how oh, that's ridiculous. And no, has anybody ever said to me that's ridiculous what you believe? Maybe they've thought that, but I've actually even put myself in the situation when I would be talking to someone that openly about Jesus. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a challenging thought, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm, I do talk in Christian context, obviously, about Jesus. What What is it about Paul saying? What does he say that tips it over the edge? Because at at some point the the conversation is safe, not safe. It's it's illuminating. It's interesting, and then sometimes there it's is when he some says point that about suffering. It's when he says the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise mm. from the dead would bring this message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. That's when Festus says, mm. "You're out of your mind, Paul." Shouted, he shouted it. Your great learning is driving you insane. And and isn't mm. that about the resurrection? Yep, mm-hmm. it's about the resurrection, mm-hmm. isn't it? Whereas with Felix, it was about when it got personal. About self control mm-hmm. yeah, and righteousness. Yeah. I'm reminded of the Crown. Um, there's there's two episodes. I can't. So there's one where Billy Graham appears yep. to the Queen. So that's mm-hmm. quite early on. It sounds like a, think, it's a vision. Yeah, she just goes and visits her. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> but I think she quite likes the fact that he gets quite personal. Doesn't yeah, she does. He? And then there's another episode where Prince Philip's with somebody. It's like a, a chaplain in the grounds or something. He ends up starting something. He does, he? yeah. It's a support. Is it not some kind of support for? Is it not? It's not the Duke of Edinburgh. It's not the Duke of Edinburgh Awards. No, I don't know. No, he, no, he, I he think, gets I think a group of church, kind of support, church leaders together. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes. And the 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 tack that both of those take, isn't it? That both the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh are really grateful that someone's had the courage to venture into that territory with them. That these people are surrounded by people who are backing off the whole time, who are being cagey. And Paul is not, he's not, he's not impolite. He's, he's not attacking them. He builds, he, it's almost like he, he wins their credibility on the map, which then enables them to go a little bit off the map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's interesting, so Festus shouts at Paul, we're talking mm. about Jesus coming alive again. And then Paul says, um, what I'm saying is true and reasonable, and the king is familiar with these things. And he turns, he turn, he doesn't focus on Festus, he turns back to Agrippa. He, he puts his conversation back to Agrippa and says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then that's when Agrippa says, do you think in such a short time you can make me a Christian? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting mm. that Paul just kind of dismisses Festus in a way and he focuses on Agrippa. What does he know uh-huh. about Agrippa? Agrippa is, God, is God saying to him, look, Agrippa's the one who actually might believe here? Yes. There is that thing, I wonder if it links to the because you're especially familiar with the customs. So yeah. Paul's going, this guy's curious about this yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. a, is he a Jew, Agrippa? Yes. He's Jewish. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, the other the other thought I have is is in these situations, it would obviously not just be these four people in the room. No, mm. there would That's be right. so many other people yep. present, and and I, that that fascinates me as well. You know, the nameless people mm. who heard this. Yeah, all the military, military all the powerful, people, military people. Servants, powerful people. slaves, person, Jane in the background Jane going, going <laughs> <a cabbage. laughs> No more trumpets. <laughs> the person, the person waving the fan. You know, I mean, you know, there would be a lot yep. of people yeah. who who hear this message. Yeah. By nature yeah. of having to be in the workplace. <laughs> what did, what, how was today at work? Well, <laughs> that was quite interesting. Yes, there's another question yeah. today. Yeah. Anyway, very good. Um, anything else we want to say? So, so, so basically, we in terms of Paul's journey, his geography, he is no further on by the end no. of these three chapters than he was at the, the beginning. But th- there has been, um, yeah, opportunity, I suppose, isn't there, in the midst of the trial? The the key thing is that he's Rome-bound, isn't it? Yeah. That's the... Yeah. yeah. And almost that kind of lament. I mean, I think, okay, Agrippa's not... Um, I was surprised that, that Eugene had said you weren't so keen on Agrippa because I think he's almost 
he becomes he goes into he almost becomes team Paul. Do you not think? I, I'm not going to become a Christian, but I wish that we could have released this guy. Yeah, mm. I suppose Festus Festus seems to go along with that as well, doesn't he? He it was Festus originally that wanted Paul. Released yeah, him. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. well, they, I think they all just want shot of him, don't they? To some extent, it doesn't. It's no it's longer a, a problem. That they, they can just get you know deal with them. It's not. It's not a sense that. They, they like to do the right thing or like to think they're doing but it's the right in, thing. It's interesting there, Neil, actually. It says the king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. And it's after they've left the room uh, that those left in the room mm. start saying to each other, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. So it's a bit more like what you were saying, Fiona. It's all, that, all the inter- entourage you're there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that have been watching and listening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, he could have been set free, but I, I, that takes me back to the remember the prophecies on the beach, where mm. you know people were warning oh, him not yeah. to go to Jerusalem, and he was saying no, but I need to go to Jerusalem. There's a touch of that, isn't uh, there? Rome. It's actually oh, sorry, no, sorry, what well, Jerusalem, Jerusalem they were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. there's a touch of that that he knows he wants. He, he needs to go to Rome, and so yeah. it's not about I'm going to argue my case so I'm set free. It's I'm going to argue my case, and in so doing, I'm going to mm. get to Rome. Which brings me back to his inner monologue. You know, did were there moments <laughs> when he thought, oh. This is kind of scary. Yeah. Well, you think there must have been. He's had those visions, hasn't he, of Jesus at night appearing next to him and saying, be brave, take courage. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Exactly. Exactly. And I noticed in this, when he tells the story to Agrippa of how he came to know Jesus, he expands um, the conversation with Jesus on the road, which we haven't had before. This is is brand new information. Yes. Um, Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I love him. I love that. So that's the thing I'm most grateful for this conversation about. Mm. It gives us that third expanded version. Is that phrase, why do you kick against the goads? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which I always think is an interesting expression for, I mean, it apparently was common in Greek culture. That was a well-known proverb. Why do you kick against the goads? Um, in, in a way, you, you, by reacting against the thing, you're actually hurting yourself. That's such a common dynamic, isn't it? And it's beautiful what he says, isn't it? I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness mm. to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. Sounds like his letters, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 And also, there's something, I think, that mention of Satan there. So Satan means the accuser. And... I think it points to the fact that there is that spiritual dimension to this attack. So behind all these people who are accusing Paul, there is the arch accuser, yeah. Satan. And going back to that that sense that we talked about, but people going through trials and people might be listening to this. Now, we've got to be really careful because I think sometimes people use spiritual explanations when in fact, they, you know, we need to be a bit more honest about ourselves but at the same time when people are saying why am i constantly being ground down by the same thing paul would say we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and authorities Mm. and and when you are being accused there is the arch accuser who who is behind that Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah Um, yeah jen you talked about dreams uh last time i think Uh Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah so i it really motivated me to um think about dreams and I I had one in which I was in a South African safari park and that was a bit odd but um, I looked up and there were some lions prowling in the distance and then the next morning I woke up and I read beware the devil prowls around you like a lion. Oh my goodness Neil that's very interesting because I've been having I wouldn't say I was having repeated dreams about lions but I would say in the last six months I keep having, I've had two or three dreams about lions and they're out of control. Um, they're ra- sort of ravaging people and we're all trying to run away from them. And it's a bit scary, really. I had thought, I had thought that was just because of my anxiety. My anxiety. I was talking to God about it in the sense that I, I don't need to be scared of the things I fear because God is bigger than my fears, which are like lions that will devour me. You know, so that's what I was taking it as. But that's very interesting that you've had a lion dream. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to be mm-hmm. alert. Maybe. Very good. Alert. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm going to completely puncture the mood here by telling you I had a dream last night that I had to prepare lots of carrot-based starters for somebody at a function. 
you want to give me an interpretation of that, knock yourselves out. Yeah, I think um, I did say that last week when I talked last time when I talked about the dream that actually led to having a conversation with someone. I think most of my dreams are just nonsense. It's just my <laughs> overactive brain, and I wouldn't like to try. But I, the the lions have stood out. Yeah, I, no, I think that's... yes, and the, I think when yeah. when things do stand out, there's yeah, yeah, we definitely yeah. need to take it. There, there was something. This would, that would have been one of the moments where um, we would have benefited from being a visual podcast because Jane, <laughs> as I said the word lions mm. your countenance completely <laughs> changed yeah. and i thought oh this is yeah yeah interesting good well i'm drawing things to close because our time is at an end uh my takeaway is obviously going to be to research the herod dynasty and come back to you with that next time with some information anybody else have a takeaway talk about jesus and not talk about my faith in my church I, I had one a while back and I noted it and now I can't remember it. It's a bit like a dream. Yes. <laughs> Don't start writing remember. your dreams down. That might be that. Yeah, I, I did have a takeaway and it's really annoying me now that I can't remember what it is. I think it might be about straying into the the territory that makes... Oh, it was when you, Jen, said, um, I have never had anybody say to me, oh, you're out your mind. Mm. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm playing it too safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there we go. These all feel quite leonine, these responses. Oh, yeah. Uh, good. Right. Uh, thank Which you very much. in with Felix. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, very good. Well, Jen, do you have a Jen for us? What's the Jen? Trying to keep up with reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the Gen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the Gen? Your guide to current thinking. I do. And I've been reflecting on the, my last number of Gens have been all about statistics and research and finding out about young people, which is all very good. But I think that needs to be counterbalanced with the fact that young people are people and it's about spending time with them so I wanted to recommend a book um, that I read a very very long time ago I think about 20 years maybe I need to find the date when it was published but it's Mark Iaconelli's Contemplative Youth Ministry Practicing the Presence of Jesus and the book in itself is about really helping us to, to be with young people better to be with ourselves better and to be with God better and how us spending time with God and spending time with young people helps create that space where we can all meet with God better and the the book goes on there's lots of I I think the first half of it is my favorite bit because it brings me back to Jesus and brings me back to what everything's all about and creating these spaces to for us to meet God together but then he also gives practical examples of various ancient spiritual practices that we can use with young people so i highly recommend that book especially if you want a break from my statistics and i'm not a statistic person at all um but also the reason i was drawn back to the book is because i've been meeting meeting with paul butterman who uh, his organization is called uh, youth work journeys and he works with youth workers um, and he would talk about them they're working with them on their internal journey and their external journey. So where are they with God and how are they helping young people eh, to be close to God? And Paul and I are going to be hosting an event on the 31st of May at Bible House in Edinburgh, the SBS offices, eh, to equip eh, those who are involved in children's youth and intergenerational ministry to share the Bible. And and what we're going to do is... three parts of the day, the afternoon, because you'll have your lunch when you come and there'll be an afternoon session, um, how we spend time with God in the Bible, how we then use that time we've spent to help others spend time in the Bible. And then we'll finish off with actually preparing, uh, designing some resources together about how we help people find that find God in the Bible. So, yeah, I don't know if that, uh, that, that is a gen because it's about, not always thinking if I, I if I'm going to read a wee bit from the book, would that be okay if you're not? Yes, have time please to do. do that. Yes. Um, there's so many bits I could read, but um, he he explains this how we're not spending time well with young people, we're not spending time with God, and we're not spending time with ourselves. Um, I think I'll go with the one in young people because that's always good. Um, so we don't know how to be with our young people. We know how to entertain them, market to them, test them, and statistically measure them, but we've forgotten how to be with them. So hope that whets your, whets your appetite and uh, 
get an old book and use it because it's still good. And I'm going to reread it when great once I have my very big to to read pile. I get to it again. Yep. Brilliant. Good. So link to that in the show notes. That's Mark Iaconelli. And more details to come about the event with Paul Butemann and Youth Work Journeys. Yes, that we were hoping that will be lot, what the advertising uh, booking, ways of booking will be at the end of February, start of March. People can start getting Super. booked in. Super. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, now, we have been ploughing our way through Acts. We only have two more episodes on the book of Acts. So next time we are shipwrecked. So basically we're reading Acts 27 verse 1 through to 28 verse 10 reach the end of the book and uh, are shipwrecked on our way to Rome uh, lots to talk about then so do join us then to, to chat and uh, the link for that those verses is of course also in the show notes join us then The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society to find ways you can share the Bible go to scottishbiblesociety.org